Oh, unfortunately, the sound suppression in Discord, I think, muted all three of your all's can opens, but I think mine came through. So, right. but I don't know about you, Evan, but uh, I'm ready to eat some turkey, drink some bourbon, and watch football on Thursday. The feast is coming, uh, but prior to that, man, we're going to have a feast of information here today as well from the, the two gentlemen that are joining us from quite a far away. But yeah, Thanksgiving in a couple days, everybody get a, hopefully a couple days off to spend with whoever, whoever, your friends, your family, your dog, your cat, whatever, and just, you know, get in a, a good mental health space, take the time off from whatever you're doing for work. But yeah, really looking forward to it. Yeah, these are these are two guests we've been pretty excited about for a while, and we've been trying to, as as you can see them now, Jeff Osdemore and James. I actually am blanking on your last name. James Catherall. Catherall. Okay, got it. My last name. I'm a terrible host, but you know we all have brain farts. So, um, we've been trying to schedule this thing for a while, and before I let Evan take it away and let them introduce them, welcome everyone to the Aged Out Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Fantini, and with me as always is. Evan Worrell. Make sure you, if you're on podcast services, head over to YouTube and check out all the content there. Comment, like, subscribe, share the podcast with anyone you may think enjoy it. You think may enjoy it. I always mess that sentence up. Um, <laughs> uh, head over to Instagram, Facebook. Give us a follow. Never miss an update on anything we're getting into or doing. Head over to Patreon.com or hit the join button right on YouTube if you want to support us financially at all. And uh, yeah, Evan, I'll pass it over to you and then we can get this thing rolling. Yeah, James, I'm actually glad that you did say your last name because my Kentucky accent would have sure said Cathrall instead of Catherall. <laughs> so um, I'll just, I'm glad you took it from there. But we'll start with you and just let you kind of give a little bit about your background, um, your short bio into the activity and kind of how you are there. And then we'll, we'll circle back around to what you're, what you're kind of getting into now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So number one is, I actually, I'll totally take Catherall. It's way better than Cathedral or Catheter or <laughs> any of those. I've gotten I've gotten lots of those. That was all growing up. Um, anyway, yeah, I am James Catherall. Um, I did. I'm from SoCal. I am a SoCal native. I was born in Anaheim, um, which is the land of Disney. If you are familiar with Anaheim, grew up all in that area, just in Orange County area. Moved in different cities. Um, and then I guess doing, doing my history. So I started in drumming in high school and then my introduction to drum corps was, uh, through a staff member at my high school. They actually, uh, went to my sister first. She was a senior in high school and I was a freshman and she played mellophone and they talked to her and said, Hey, have you heard about this drum corps thing? And we were like, no. And then they're like, you should check out this thing called Vanguard. And we were like, okay. And so then we went home and this was, I think actually this was literally like pre-YouTube. This was like dating it a little bit when I got introduced. So we didn't have YouTube. I think what we ended up doing is we went online and we bought the uh, DCI Finals DVD from the previous summer and got it and watched it. And that ended up being uh, 2006. And we watched that and just like fell in love with all of it instantly and knew we loved it and then we both ended up going out to auditions for the 2008 season was the first time we auditioned um and we did vanguard cadets and that was our first season she played mellophone i was in the front ensemble playing the bells and actually played the celeste which was a really cool one that's a little like go google nice. that cl <laughs> C-E-L-E-S-T-A, celeste. Super awesome answer. I, I got to play a real live acoustic celeste, which was cool. Um, but anyway, so that was my first season. was 2008 Vanguard Cadets. 
and instantly fell in love with it. Um, I was definitely like, even just to like tell on myself a little bit that I, I guess I haven't, I don't tell a whole lot of people this story, but I was definitely one of the kids that showed up that was terrible. Um, <laughs> there was probably like, I, I, cause I originally auditioned for Vanguard and there was probably like 30 quad drummers auditioning and I was solidly number 30 out of 30 <laughs> and had no idea how to do any of it. Got, got cut super fast. I was like 15 years old. And then I went to Vanguard Cadets for quads and also got cut super fast from Vanguard Cadet quads. And then I was like, I just, I just want to do this. Like, let me, let me try anything. And so then I went to the front ensemble and they were like, here, you could play bells. And I was like, awesome. I'm in, let me do it. I'll play bells. So as everybody that was starts my... somewhere, folks, is the takeaway on that. <laughs> yep, absolutely. That, that was my introduction. I was like, I just want to do this. And so played Bells and then did two more seasons at Vanguard Cadets playing quads, 09 and 10. Um, and then did a quick venture over to Iowa and did the Colts in 2011. Red team. Um, Fun. Red team. Yep, got brought over there by a friend of mine. His name was Ryan Yee, and Nick Worth was on the battery staff. So I got to learn from Nick Worth. That was great. That was one of the big attractions. I was like, yeah, I want to go learn from Nick Worth. So that was cool. And then after that, I did uh, Vanguard in 2012. And then uh, two years of Blue Devils, I did 2013 and 2014. Um, and then aged out in 2014. So that was seven total seasons. Started when I was 15 right after my sophomore year of high school, all the way until I aged out in 2014. Um, and then on top of that, I did five years of WGI groups. Um, so my your high back school... hates you, right? Your back hates oh, yeah. you now Dude, is what I'm it hearing. It was six, <laughs> six years of quads and six, six summers of quads and five indoor seasons of quads. Dang. So, More power to you. Yeah, dude. My, my high school didn't have a... Uh, an indoor group at the time. So I didn't do any indoor stuff in high school, but as soon as I graduated, um, I went out and was a charter member of Pulse Open, which is now turned into POW. Um, but I did the very, very first year of that when we were just Pulse Open, it was just PO. And then, <laughs> and then we became, and then, uh, and then I did Pulse in 2012, did, did like the, you know, the Pulse World. Um, and then I did RCC for three years after that, 13, 14, and then aged out in 2015 RCC playing quads. So that was a whole lot of stuff and a whole yeah. long venture of my times. I did a lot of time in it. I, I loved doing all of it. I know that I pushed myself to get to the very end of it because I know that if that I know that there was a finite finish line to this thing and I wanted to see it out to the end and I definitely don't regret it, and I knew I would have regretted it if I didn't do it. So super happy I did all that time, and it was it was awesome and learned a lot and 100% shaped who I am today is because of all that time I did and all those people that I learned from. Heck yeah. Cool. So did you transition to, like, um, being on a staff or design or the other side of things right away as soon as you aged out? Yep. Actually, even even before that, I mean, I guess I, I don't know exactly what the, the whole nationwide scene looks like, but pretty common in SoCal is like a lot of people will be teaching a lot of high schools before they even age out. So I was I started teaching like literally right after I graduated high school, I like started teaching at the middle school um, that fed into the high school that I graduated from and 
you know, it was like literally just teaching like concert band classes. Like I would just go to the middle school and teach their, the concert band percussion kids. Um, and then, and then, yeah, just kind of kept going from there, kept adding gigs every year, teaching a bunch of high schools, got up to the peak of teaching like six high schools at, in one season. And, um, but then, you know, I've kind of reeled it back from there, but yeah, it's a lot of teaching even while I was marching. And then as soon as I finished marching, um, started teaching, especially on the WGI side, I actually didn't do much on the DCI side after I aged out for a while. I took a solid break from DCI after I aged out, but I did a lot of WGI and have worked with WGI groups every year since I've aged out. Um, and yeah. Nice. Cool. Before, uh, we'll hop over to Jeff, but we'll circle back around and like kind of the information and maybe degree or studying or classes or whatever uh, knowledge you've gathered for what you're doing now before we, before we get into it. But yeah, Jeff, you, I know I listened to the podcast with Robert and George at the drum Corps coffee shop and you had a, a rather unique roadmap into kind of this crazy niche activity that we all know and love today. Uh, well, maybe more on just a little bit more different than what the typical I'll say, but you know, whatever works. So the floor is yours. Kind of take us through that a little bit. Sure, Evan. So first of all, Evan and Mike, thanks for having us on. We're just thrilled to be here. Like we talked about before we started recording, this is a fantastic platform for lots and lots of kids to really see what's out there and hear your perspective. So we're just thrilled to be here. One of the things that is unique about James and I is that he started his career in 2006 as a performer, and that was my first year taking over Blue Knights full-time, the first go-around. So that was kind of a neat commonality that I didn't really know till now. So that was cool to find out. But unlike James, this is considered maybe the anti-Catherall. I got hooked into <laughs> drum corps and loved it, but I didn't have all the experience as a performer that James has. So I was a pianist growing up, even though I from Germany. I grew up uh, in Michigan, but I was born in Germany. So I, I consider myself from Michigan. And I fell in love with percussion because I'm a pianist. So my mother's very gifted. And so I came up into the public schools and I fell in love with percussion. And I was, I was fairly comfortable, but a good friend of mine named Brad Wool came back one summer and played uh, a tape for me and started playing things that I had never seen before in my life. And it was just the most even, strong sound I'd ever even imagined. And he said, you know, the best part? And I said, I have no idea. What could be better than this? He said, hold out your hand. So I held out my hand, and he played a roll on my hand. And in that moment in time, as ninth grade Jeff, I looked at him and said, whatever you just did this summer, I want in. I want to go where you went. I want to figure out what you learned. And I was so hooked. Oh, my gosh. I was 15, too. And. And I went up and I marched in a drum corps called Northern Aurora, and it kind of changed my life. It really did. And that's not hyperbole. That is the honest-to-God truth. And uh, <clears throat> got exposed to uh, the next level of drum corps, and I saw the Cavaliers and did some great auditioning, looked around at Star Anna Regiment, and I decided to march Cavaliers. And I uh, had a very, very different experience in the Cavaliers for sure and enjoyed it. But I was already starting to get the teaching bug. So I started teaching before I aged out. And these were smaller drum corps and so on and so forth. And I knew by introducing myself to some of the Blue Devils, I figured out where they went to school. So I left Michigan State University. And as you all know, it's a very strong school of music. It's a great drum line. And uh, I 
decided to is transfer. Is Jay Webb? Is that? Yeah. No. no. It's Jay. No, Jay wasn't there. Okay. This was Chris Thompson. He was with the Madison okay. Scouts. He was one of our teachers. But one of the things about Michigan State is the entire drum line is just chock full of cadets and cavaliers and regiment and all kinds of strong players all through the Midwest, blue coats, of course, and it was great. So tons of talent, but I knew as a percussion performance major, I, I really needed to transfer and I really wanted to learn a different style of drumming. And I asked all the Blue Devils where they went to school and what do you guys think they said? <laughs> RCC. RCC, sure, and in the West Coast, but a lot of them also went to North UNT. Texas. UNT, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I transferred to North Texas, and I was having an incredible experience there. Loved it, and I was getting ready to graduate. Uh, fortunately for me, I had some great drum corps teaching experiences along the way. Met a guy named Paul Rennick, who I'd never heard of, and would who? later turn out I to be. I don't know who that is either. <laughs> He's an up-and-comer, guys. Give him time. Yeah. He might get Give there eventually. He might make it. He's still trying, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's going to find success one of these days. And so I met Paul and uh, he changed my life. And then Jeff Prosperi was there and I loved meeting Jeff and drumming with Jeff. And Jeff asked me to come up to the Phantom Regiment. So my first world-class gig was a snare drum tech uh, at Phantom Regiment. So that was an incredible experience. And so my life was already kind of heading in one direction. And it's kind of funny how Evan teed this up because my life is little bit atypical from a lot of the folks in the drum corps community, but it wasn't starting like that. I was like, okay, I've taught three or four drum corps and now I'm aged out. Here we go. I'm going to kind of start this path. And right in my senior year, one of the bands that I had recorded with in Michigan got a record label. So I quit my senior year. I left North Texas. I dropped everything. I took the audition in Nashville. I won the audition and I moved to Nashville to start recording our second record and going around the world on tour. So I ended up playing drum set and touring for years with this band out of Nashville. And then when that ended, I ended up finishing up some time as a studio musician. So playing drum set. And then I finished my undergraduate degree in Nashville. Then I went to grad school out in New Mexico and had an incredible experience with my teacher, Dr. Fred Bugby out there. And then somehow in New Mexico, I started meeting different people from Blue Knights. They asked me to go up and kind of set up some technique for them in the front ensemble. And I really developed the love for those people and what they were trying to do. And so I helped them out in 2004, 2005, a larger role. And then they asked me to, to take over as a ranger and caption head in 06. And I just stayed at the Blue Knights all the way until James got in the activity. And then when Evan got in the activity, I was like, okay, I'm out. Um, but all kidding, aside, <laughs> all kidding aside, it was it was incredible and it was an amazing experience. And once I got to the end of my career, some of the DCI admins were asking me to judge. And I said, thank you so much. I'm very flattered, but I, I don't think I would ever be a very good judge. I'm, I'm not interested. I hadn't thought about it. And then I took some time to really reflect. And then I decided that I really wanted to give back to this incredible activity that gave me so much. And so I'm going to I'm really going to engage. And so I judged all the way up until last year. And poetically enough, and I didn't plan it this way, but poetically enough, the last comments I gave were Saturday night championships. There you go. Finals. Hey, I mean, all of those things, you know, it, it really feels like you made decisions at the right time, like turning down a gig to play drum set and travel the world. Like no Sorry. way. Um, and then obviously, you know, like kind of, at least for now, going out on a, a high end of judging world championship finals on the last night, like who knows what the future holds, but right. you know, I think those were definitely a lot of the 
wise decisions at that time. I don't think anyone would fault you for that. Um, was Bill Bachman at UNT there when you were also there? Bill came in, um, I think, right as I was leaving, because Bill and I are dear friends, and as you all probably know, when you have friends that go back a long time, you sometimes forget like which year you met. Right, so he right. was there, yeah. and I don't. I'm pretty sure we didn't march together, um, but I think he, we were there at the same time. And we've done so many clinics, we've played together, and we're dear friends. But I don't remember being in the North Texas line with him. The Mandela effect. You miss just misremember. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, so here's the question then, from what, what you just said. You know, you judged up until this past summer. How did the jump back to teaching at BK happen while you were judging? Did someone just reach out organically? What kind of motivated that? Yeah, that's a great question, Mike. So the the thing that, that a lot of judges are probably already aware of is when you are in the activity, you develop very special relationships with teachers, designers, admin throughout the, throughout the country. And... I've had soft offers to go work with all kinds of groups, and I've always appreciated that, but I really felt like my bigger role was to stay in the adjudication seat because I really felt like that's where I needed to be at that point in time. And there was something after this last season, prior to getting my assignment for championships, that told me that, you know, I've been doing this for so many years, and I really, really think that it's it's time for me to pull back. And the way that I was going to pull back was going to be more in a compositional route because I compose and do other things um, outside of teaching. And so that was what I was thinking in the back of my mind. And then when the opportunity came up after championships happened, I thought this is worth exploring. And so I just re-engaged with the, with the Blue Knights, no one else, because I just felt like that was a home for me and that relationship that I started so long ago, I really felt like this is a very different musician, a very different composer that I want to go back and see if I can find my voice in a very different way. And to Evan's point earlier, I'm a very different person because of my experiences after all of this time. And so I, I looked into it and it felt really comfortable and I'm, I'm super, super grateful and thankful that I did. Awesome. I think that's incredible. Yeah, um, that's great. And then in case anyone hasn't caught on, we'll get both of your all's like titles and responsibilities. So Jeff at Blue Knights, you write and arrange both the front and the battery. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Evan. Among, I'm sure, a multitude of other responsibilities as well. Um, and then James, you are the sound design and audio caption um, head, which I'm sure encompasses a lot. But is it both of your all's first year, James? This is, yeah, yeah, we both came on same time last year as our first year. Awesome, awesome. So obviously it was quite a big transition for the team, uh, I'm sure for the membership as well, for you guys, the staff. But, you know, first and foremost, kudos as well for making the top 12 yeah. at the end, which it's not always about the accolades and the scores, but it does feel good to go on at finals night. So, yes, yep. uh, and that's an incredible experience for the members of the Blue Knights Ensemble as well. Um, but yeah, we'll get into some of the, the show stuff and the design behind it. But also, I do want to uh, make sure that we stop and just catch some of these things along the way. A lot of the things that you guys did that were unique. Um, James, I think uh, Jeff was saying before we started, you were the one that kind of put this video together. Um, but just kind of talk a little bit about to the setup for the Blue Knights, like some of the 
field setup you have, maybe with some of the microphones or some of the challenges with balancing the group live <laughs> in a ever changing environment as we shift around the field? Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely difficult. And I know, I mean, one of the things that that was really nice coming into it um, that I've like written and, and designed with a lot of different groups and worked with a lot of different people. But I think what was most refreshing of being in this group as we all kind of like got to knew, know each other as a design team was everyone's willingness and like hunger to to just try something different and unique and do things that we haven't done before um, that I think was was most refreshing um, that I'm sure a lot of people have experienced in, you know, in their full career as a designer is, is you get into those design teams or places where there's always kind of like a the the no person that comes in and, and you want to do a bunch of things. And there's always a person that kind of sucks the air out of the room and just kind of keeps shutting everything down. And I think that was the cool thing about this summer that made it really fun to just like dive in and try all this stuff is that we were given that trust from from everyone is, is each other as a design team and then just like the members and the admin team and everyone else at Blue Knights gave us the trust to like, yeah, we like this is what we're here to do is to do something that we've never done before and haven't tried before. So that was that was the exciting thing is just like, hey, we've never done this and let's let's figure it out and see what happens. So we knew early on with some of the stuff on the audio side that we wanted to do. I know pretty early we talked about um, the these props that we had um, that we kind of we referred to them as the obelisks as there were these like pointy things all over the field. We had a bunch of them all over the field and five of them had uh, these found percussion instruments in it. So it was like pots and pans, um, like literally some of them were like like popcorn bowls. Um, we had an actual uh, cast iron pan in there. Like one of the things was a cast iron pan. Um, we had like frying pans. And then we had these really cool things. Um, we had these things made by, was it Rustic Percussion, Jeff? Is that the name of it? Yeah, that made these planks for us um, that that we got and we were able to hang up all these like wooden planks that were actually tuned to specific pitches and could be in a certain key. And then we had these cool little metal uh, plates that were made by Morph Beats, um, which is sort of like a, a local um, Colorado native company that makes a bunch of really cool instruments. Um, that's That's really awesome. So they made these things for us and we hung them up in there. And we knew that we kind of wanted that to be a thing is like not just having props out there to be props, but like how many different things can we do with these props? And so that like, was something you thought about all the different implements you just mentioned and things that you all well, played on pr produce sound from. I'm sure there might have been some that organically came about. So do you have like a game plan going into the summer and then in the, throughout the summer, you're like, oh, let's try adding this here and try this different sound from this random thing Did it kind of evolve or do you have a really good idea going in? Uh, it, I mean, it evolved a lot. Um, cause I would say we definitely did not like, as far as the stuff we wanted on there, we had a good idea. I mean, we had mm -hmm. all those instruments from day one, but as far as how we would actually do it was very much a, like an Touch experiment. And go situation, just kind of like <laughs> yeah. see what worked and see what wouldn't work and that kind of thing. Exactly. So it ended up being a lot like with me and Jeff and then our super awesome, um, percussion caption head, Andrew McAfee, last summer, he did a fantastic job of also kind of digging into it and 
Um, there were, it definitely went through a lot of iterations throughout the season as far as what we played on there and and how we utilized them because um, we did end up I also knew pretty early on and also just for myself of like what I like doing I like putting microphones on things that is <laughs> that is my love and joy is if I could put microphones on everybody I would I love microphones on everything just for the sake of being able to do things with it it just like it just always expands like adding microphones to things just always expands what you can do with it i couldn't think of a better opportunity to let you plug your youtube channel now than what you just said right there so we'll take a second and you can uh james does have a youtube channel yeah we'll let him kind of explain what it is and there'll be a link to it in the description of the video on youtube so make sure if you're on spotify or anything for sure go check it out tons of good info but i'll let james kind of take a minute and explain his youtube channel and all that kind of stuff Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So I, I have a YouTube channel. It's called Catherall Audio. Um, so just my last name, Catherall, C-A-T-H-E-R-A-L-L Audio is the YouTube channel. Um, it's just a C and, and then an A inside of the C um, is the logo. And uh, it's just all a whole bunch of audio stuff. Um, a lot of it started around a software program called MainStage, which a lot of people in the activity use a lot. Um, it, it kind of started with that and then also has just started branching into other things. I've had the opportunity to go to groups like Pulse and uh, Chino Hills and Ayala High School. And I went to a, a Academy Drum Corps and been to a bunch of other high schools and got to just like tour all their gear and talk to them about gear. And then just post a bunch of stuff. I guess the the main part or the main like mission of the channel is just to help lower the barriers of learning about audio stuff, um, especially in the marching arts that it was, um, I was very fortunate in my upbringing in this activity. I had a lot of great mentors in Kevin Shaw and Tony Nunez working with them and they helped teach me a lot in the audio world. Um, but I was very fortunate that I knew them and there was, I know a whole bunch of people that aren't nearly as fortunate to be surrounded by people like that, um, that, just wanted to help provide resources to people at free, free 99 is, is I think that's, you know, you know, obviously completely very altruistic, but so great for the activity just because there are so many, you know, high schools around the country where they hire the, the percussion guys. Are like, oh, you going to teach the percussion? Right. It's like, yeah, I'll help teach the percussion. It's like, and you're going to run the sound and the audio. And they're like, Whoa, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> so any tools like that out there that are available, because yeah. it is becoming an, an ever-evolving activity. And like you said, it just it opens up so many opportunities for ensembles, especially, you know, small ensembles, to be honest. Yep, Absolutely. for sure. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, so that, that was just all the, the main goal is tackling stuff like that, providing things that would have helped me. I guess that's always, like, what I'm aiming at is, like, what would have been fantastic for me 10 years ago? And then I just like make stuff about that. Cause I was like, dude, if this video existed 10 years ago, my everything would have been different for me. So <laughs> been way ahead of the game at that point. So yeah, make sure you go check that out. Again, the link will be in the description of this YouTube video. Go give him a subscribe, all that stuff. Follow on others. Are you on other social media platforms too? Um, YouTube is sort of the main one. Um, I, I mean, I post a little bit on Instagram, but not a lot yet. But okay. mo most of it's most of it's on YouTube is where all right, Basically, so definitely, definitely make sure you go subscribe to his YouTube channel. But all right, you want to hit anything else, Evan, or you want to start jumping into let's some? Get, uh... Let's go ahead and get in. And as we uh, as we go through, um, we can just talk about too, like you know, design choices or source material choices. I know that you two also did uh, a good amount of 
original composition for that. I was I was looking through the repertoire, um, so some of that stuff, and you know, we can talk about the show itself, the design. But yeah, we'll we'll jump in. We can pause. We can replay. We can stop as much. Well, as we, do we want to hit the bass drum Mapex stuff now? Do we, uh, I do you want to hit it now? or You want to wait till the moment comes up? Let's just wait. We'll get it. I think a lot of people know it's coming. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there's a moment here then... that when it comes up in the video, we will pause and switch to a different screen and kind of go over how that came about and everything. Uh, so yeah, let's let me switch scenes here. Uh, you all should still be able to see. You're watching the screen share on your all's yes. end still. Yep. Alrighty. So we'll the show unharnessed Blue Nights 2023. We will jump right in and then we'll see where it takes us. Thank you to the Blue Knights production team, a.k.a. James's apartment. <laughs> I love concert snare drum. Mixed in, what are they playing on the concert bass there? Oh, those they're playing the drum. The uh, Yeah. Yes, sir. Those are marching machines. And yeah. we just we just put them stereophonically and it was louder and deeper by playing on the actual head rather than the shell. Interesting. And and for the concert snares, we actually ended up, that was a whole new series um, made by Chris Lamb, that he had a whole new series of concert snare drums. And so we got its whole array. So all of them have the different drums from his series that he developed with uh, Mapex. Nice. Definitely a good, like, brooding I want vibe. to get Oh, wait. Love that drum set lead in. <laughs> Big open rolls. This is Verity's Requiem. This is the big impact for the brass. Airline to the, the, the boards was awesome. The metric slowdown. My man's got toms for days. <laughs> yes. So many sounds. Right yeah, we'll pause. Okay. There's so much great stuff. James uh, pointed out already, we are so incredibly indebted to the Mapex Corporation. They just released the Opus 1 series, and you think this is a lot of snare drums. You should see us in 2024. <laughs> we can't talk about it too much, but we have some really wild ideas how this is going to look out on the field. But they were so kind to outfit any shell, any type of depth combination to fit us. So every one of those keyboard players across the front and our what we call flex player, Andrew, there in the back, they all had, they all had these beautiful, beautiful drums of all kinds of different colors and textures, and they just added in. And you'll, you'll notice, hopefully, throughout the entire show, we bring them back. So that color and that texture compositionally and from a texture standpoint really becomes a through line in the percussion program. So that was the big impact for the Requiem. That's his second movement. And uh, we're really fortunate to have incredible brass arranger. His name is Leslie Gilreath. So it's really, really fun to ride through. And so that was a really, really long runway, how that just built up through the pre-show that James composed beautifully. So really seamless how he 
inter really weaved the synthetic element into the brass coming in. These trumpet soloists are up on these huge props, and then that just built and built and built. And right where you stopped is where James and I have our first original composition called Released. Yeah, yeah I just got to... I just got to point out real quick, the soundscape of that whole opening statement was just so interesting. Just the variety of sounds, just all the different textures, how that all interplayed together. There was mirroring. I mentioned it in the middle of the video we were watching there, that clip, just like there was a moment where the, the, the flat line w was having their rhythm mirrored by the boards up front. They did the metric detail perfectly. You had all kinds of cells, uh, sounds, not cells, uh, accenting it the whole time. It was just super interesting to watch. Highly recommend everybody go back or go to the original video. The link to the original video from the Blue Knights YouTube will also be in this video description. Go subscribe to that channel too. Thank you, sir. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I know someone said in our last video, was like, you guys should talk less. I was like, well, you can go watch the original one. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of the point of the whole thing, you know, <laughs> right? to talk about right. it, talk over it, you know. Yeah, but right. all right, so you ready to keep moving? Yes, Let's sir. Go. All right. Very chaotic. It's supposed to be chaos. Mm, nice take for no roll. Break free from these constraints. Man, stylistic changes for days. Yes, sir. That's mm -hmm. Leslie's bread and yeah. butter. There's Andrew. Look at all the instruments Andrew has in the show. Yeah, Timpanus has break drums he plays with four mallets. Everyone is basically a multi-percussionist in the front ensemble. So can you pause it for a second? We're yeah. talking about this. Now, if I and E if I and E was still very prevalent, right? these they would have had <laughs> options right. to face. Yes, sir. So James already talked about this beautifully, but these wooden planks, that's our section leader Colin right there. We can see on the right. And uh, they his name is uh, Ryan Lankford, and Ryan took a, a took a huge chance on us on us because he makes beautiful handcrafted instruments for the concert hall. So mm. I called him up and introduced myself, and I said, "Okay, before you hang up on me, I'm going to tell you about something called drum corps. Please don't hang up. Please don't hang up." And then we kept talking, and he was interested. And I said, "Okay, now we need this particular mode because I wrote the front ensemble in the key of D flat pentatonic major." Can you do that? And he's like, done. I'll, I'll, I'll make it happen. And so he customized these wooden planks out of the five obelisks. Two of them there are wooden, and the other three are metallic, like James said. And so you can see all of those wooden planks. Our, our props team, our operations team, most of them are percussionists. So all of spring training, they're out there drilling and holding up and listening and measuring the resonance and then scrapping it and doing it again and trying fishing wire and then trying... Uh, steel and all these kinds of things and they worked their tails off for weeks just so it could be hung up acoustically then we got it really really pure and then we're really happy with it then james comes in and just elevates it so beautifully and he can talk about all the magic that he brings to it but everything you're about to see that's small and intricate we were really proud of how it sounded acoustically so if you walked up within one foot of the instrument you would be blown away how resonant and rich it was but james kept that sonority for the top of lucas oil and that's that's an incredible skill and he needs to really talk about how he did that but the challenges that we gave james 
that he just smashed out of the park were incredible. And you can see, by the way, um, that's Katie over there on the left. She's got two really, really thin popcorn bowls. And then see those three pieces of metal? Each one of those, the tops are a note and the bottoms are a different note. So she has six notes right there. And those were custom made for us by Morph Beats. This artisan metallic worker makes these beautiful uh, instruments in Colorado. So M-O-R-F Beats. Morph beats. Are you talking so about James, the three horizontal bars going here? Yes, sir. Yeah. They look like metallic marimba bars hanging vertically. Oh, that, okay. I see what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. On the I'm left side. Yeah, yeah. yeah those I'm on with the left you. side. James, how did yeah. you how did you do that? Yes. So real quick, once again, because I want to give them a, a shout out too, because the ops team was amazing. We literally yes. had like probably one of the best ops teams in all oh, yeah. of DCI that that Incredible. busted their butts to put all these props together. Um, we got like the the structure itself, like basically the big metal thing, um, was manufactured by a guy named Jeff Hur that we Out of like hired. North and, Carolina, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some, and so they they did all that and then sent it to us, and then our ops team did everything else. So they got oh, them yeah. put onto those baseboards, and then they put these like those whatever those like horizontal things with all the holes in it whatever those like brace bracket things they did all that with this like thing to get all these hung up it's like all this like steel wires put in between them and then like it was just they everything and we would just keep asking more things from them as a design team and then they would get it done and we ended up like if you see all the they all have color on the inside of them and on the outside of them we got these vinyl wraps like 36 hours before allentown (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they got they got all of them put on for Allentown as we had all of that color and and it was awesome and it like instantly made the props amazing like we saw that it was like yeah that's a ten it's amazing so our ops team knocked it out of the park getting all of that stuff put together and and helping us look great and sound great by getting all that stuff done because um, yeah like these props for sure were a full season project because um, we have all of them hanging and then. I put a microphone in each of these props. Um, I don't know how clearly you'd be able to see it in this video, but there's a wireless mic on all five of these props um, that basically it was hanging down in the middle of it. And then we ended up putting like the little body pack. We Velcroed it to the very top on the inside of the prop. And then just like by pure coincidence of it all working out is the prop had a little tiny hole in the top of it where we could stick the antenna out to make sure that the the wireless would connect and it would all work so there's like a tiny little antenna sticking out of the tops of all five of those props so that it could hang and then we ended up using these like elastic straps to make sure that the mic would stay in place because if you've watched the show they go they knock them down they pull them up they Mm -hmm. move them all over the place so we just wanted to make sure that everything stayed consistent so we strapped those down um, and, and yeah, so it was, it was a fun project. You'd have to, to put them on, you had to climb up the prop and like stick it on. And oh. then, cause we would take it on and off every day. So to yep. get it on there, you'd have to climb up the prop, stick the thing on, pull it off from the Velcro, get it out. So it was like, it was in every single day. So taking those things uh, on and Sweating off. a little bit during the unload process at the shows. Yeah. Getting, all right, here we go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was so It was cool. Um, Got him in there. And I mean, the thing that was nice is it like the the development of it took time as far as the execution of the playing of it. 
um, we because we hang the we hung the microphones from it, and the first thing we started with was just doing like a little bit of reverb, um, and this will kind of get into like the their nerdy details. So for any of the people that want the nerdy details, but there's a little bit of reverb on each of them. Um, we definitely did a lot of balancing of each individual person because some of them, like the wood planks, were super soft, and so we had to boost those a lot. And all the metallic stuff was was really bright, and so we had to bring that down. And what I also ended up doing towards the end, which actually helped a lot, is I did an octave um, doubling of it. So I basically used like a pitch shifter that could make it all come out an octave lower than it originally was. Oh, man. And it was cool. It was super cool. It helped with like the depth of the sound a lot, is that what you're hearing come out of the speakers was the acoustic sound plus an octave doubling underneath of what was happening acoustically. This band's yeah. an evil yeah. genius. And kind of ended up all, all that. So it was a lot of fun. And and once we I, kind of figured all that stuff out, it was it was cool. All of that is awesome. And it illustrates one of my favorite things about drum corps and activity and kind of indoor as well. It, it, it's just a passion project. It's a labor of love. All this MacGyvering that has to go on just to make your creative vision come to life in the way that you see it in your brain and in your head when you're planning and designing all this and all the hoops you have to jump through. It's like, how can we make this work? And it, it's nothing but a labor of love and evolu the evolution. It's just, it's awesome. Yeah. Couldn't agree more, Mike. And I'm going to make a, a really, really bold prediction and request from the activity. Uh -oh. We've got a high drum trophy. We've got a high brass trophy. If there was ever such thing as a <laughs> high synthetic sound design trophy, <laughs> Cathrall ten pointed the next person. It, it wasn't even close. Now, here's the thing. Did you hear everything he just said? We haven't even scratched the surface for the other ten minutes of the show. I know. James, can you Please share oh, with everybody how many channels we used and how many wireless mics we used on brass and percussion? Well, um, I don't have it written down, but I know for sure it was like total channel count of the full group was about 70 um, channels on our mixer. That's a uh, fake number. Had... That's not a fake. <laughs> That's we a fake to... number. <laughs> we, we got a new mixer. We got the, the Allen and Heath D live just to make sure that we could, because I knew that too when we were talking during the off season in like January, I was like sitting there and I was like, oh man, we're going to need. So I started messaging people. So the first guy I messaged, his name's Ryan Unanks, and he helped us out a lot with Romeo Music and hooked us up with all of our gear. And I sent him a message and I was like, hey man, currently our mixer can handle like 40 channels. And right now, like I just like did a quick penciling and I was like, we're going to need at least like 60. And he was like, oh, okay, for sure. And so he got back to me and by, by the end of the season, we ended up having 70 channels and 22 of those were wireless. So we were using 22 different wireless mics and and then the rest of it was making i told you i love putting mics on stuff that's what i like <laughs> that's I, I like putting mics on things so so we had a lot of mics we had a lot of channels used a lot of stuff and it it's fun it's great it was definitely stressful um but it was a good time it was it was a fun stress it was a i think I, there's I, also a demographic out there or just you know i don't want to say purist but people who be like oh mics 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 but like you still have to make good sounds, and that's always right. been the thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, like the mics just highlight what you're already doing. Um, at the end of the day, exactly. the sounds are still the sounds. Like there are ways to like obviously morph things for effect, but like, yeah, <laughs> the sounds are the sounds. So I'll just I'll leave it at that. Hundred percent agree. Yep, and that's why we're able to do stuff like that 
for Blue Nights and for like a world-class drum corps because the performers were making awesome sounds. And I wanted to make sure that all of those awesome sounds could be heard and nothing was getting lost in the mix. And so they can make even more awesome sounds. Like, yep. I think yes. it's come a long way. Obviously, there's the miking of the brass and stuff and other things. And then, like, you know, people using shotgun mics and this and that. But to me, it's just the equivalent of what has been happening already for years with front ensemble miking. It's like, yeah, we want to be able to hear like someone play a concert marimba, like run with some very soft mallets and just warm and tasteful and be heard from the box without like beating the absolute crap out of it just to get it to project. Just go Uh, watch the keyboards in like the eighties and nineties before they started doing this. They're using the hardest mallets on the planet and it's all just the sharpest, not harshest to it's, Which is what they it's had not to the do. Right word. They had to do it. The technology wasn't there, but like, gone are the days. And I think it's only a positive thing that you're not having to just wail to be heard on these these front ensemble instruments. There were some very talented ice cream trucks in the '80s and the '90s. <laughs> <laughs> so this particular point of the uh, of the show, uh, James just shines once again. But I do want to point out uh, Andrew McAfee. James mentioned him earlier. Andrew's a good friend of ours, and he was our percussion caption head. And you see in that shot right there that Mike rewound to. You see all the obelisks are in this nice little pretty row there. On the field, they were moving around and they had their own environmental demand. So think about this for a second. When we talk about environmental demand, we talk about simultaneous responsibilities, physical responsibilities. Oh, I'm in a lunge with my right hand flam drag. Okay, I get it. It's challenging. For these kids, they're playing every note is a different feel, texture, sound, and darkness, lightness, etc. Popcorn bowl to custom metallic instrument with a mic on it. Plus, they're listening out of their right ear to the 45. Then the bass drums come on this side. Then they're listening. So the environmental demand of the pit playing new instruments, mic'd in a way that we've never heard in the activity before, was a huge ask. And Andrew McAfee is such a great musician, and he just took my score and he looked at it and said, "Okay, when we are play, hold, we're standing still, we can play as a chamber group, and it sounds like very contemporary 20th century music. There's counterpoint and so on and so forth. On the field, we need to craft it in such a way that we can hear this sound and this rhythm that gets overlapped and so on and so forth. The entire composition." dovetails into the moment that we've all been talking about, which we call the melodic bass drum moment, but the overall composition is called released. And so everything dissolves into musical chaos. So it starts with musical chaos. You heard those three exposed rolls. Each of those rolls are a slightly faster metric feel. It's like seven, sixes, fives, or maybe (laughs) the other way, but they get softer and softer. So we did the opposite that feels good in your hands. Typically, we do the opposite, right, as snare drummers? Are you both snare drummers, Evan? Yeah, and yeah we are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we did the opposite. So we had that texture that ended up going the opposite way just because that chaos needed to be represented compositionally and through feel and tension. So this all breaks down. We go to the melodic bass drums. And so Andrew McAfee masterfully blended and mixed that and edited the, the parts just beautifully. And, it, and this will be a recurring theme. If I haven't said it yet, we knew in the winter that this was going to be a sophisticated show, and we knew it was not 
not going to be great right away. Right away, mm-hmm. we knew we needed the entire summer to get there, and competitively, we're we're thrilled for the students that they did. But we knew it was a very clear and intentional choice for us to try to push the activity. And if we didn't make it, we didn't make it. But that's where we all were. And what I've said my whole career is, drum corps is already too hard not to take <laughs> chances and do with people you love. Right? It is. That's it's just good, hard. That's a good motto. Yeah. yeah. So we we all know that, right? There's going to be moments that it's always going to be hard and you question why you're doing this. So we all really galvanized our spirit in the beginning and said, are we really going to do this? Are we really going to take all these chances? Are we going to put the ensemble in these crazy positions and ask these performers to do this? And we all collectively held hands and said, we're doing it. And we knew that we were not going to be competitively strong early on. That was a choice we made because we wanted to make sure these concepts were represented in the activity. That's awesome. I love that. Phenomenal. Be based within yourself. Yep. So let's Let's jump right back in. Let's listen to these uh, these crazy note hung instruments that are (laughs) intricately (laughs) microphoned and enhanced. (laughs) Two octaves. Let's go. There's the wooden planks. Thank you, rustic percussion. There's the morph beats and found objects. There's the cast iron pan, right, right when they cut away. Timpani player playing three mallets <laughs> on break drums. Best way to cut yep. the steak. Cast iron. Here it comes. <laughs> That's so cool. So I'm sure some people are probably like, what did I just watch? Yeah, what, what did I just hear? What, what did I just experience? <laughs> exactly. So the easiest way to start this whole crazy phrase is to figure out the entire aesthetic of our show is called unharnessed. So everything that we did musically was to justify the theme and the program show so what we're doing is we're trying to break free and you'll hear that literally from break on through from the doors doom 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 ding de, doom de. that pop song that we use so we have all this motivic material but from a sonic standpoint we felt like we want to break free from traditional sounds we've heard in drum corps so that's all of the found instruments and all the tune things all those planks and those metallic sounds were corresponding with the mode that the front ensemble was in so the front ensemble, if you listen really carefully, if you watch it again, you can hear, break on through to the other side. Just really softly, while the bass drums and the, the, the found instruments are kind of cross-fading. So we get to the bass drums, and this all starts from Chris Hankus and John Harville. Those two gentlemen at the Mapex Corporation heard about what the show was about, and I was try- I was explaining a little bit about my background because I'm a 20th century nerd. I'm actually more of a classical musician, and my my teacher Fred Bugby really instilled that love of Steve Reich and John Cage. And so I told him what was going on. And right there, what you're showing on your screen is the restaurant we met in that booth at the very top. And they said, well, this is a secret we've been holding on for years. 
Chris Hankus actually had this idea and he experimented. We've been, we've been afraid to really release it in public. And I looked him in the eye and said, are you guys willing to take a chance with us? Because it sounds like this show could really, really use it. So you can see that's where we met at PASIC, literally a year from this past week. <laughs> so we started there. And if you'll scroll down just a little bit, that is the illustrious John Harville. So now this is a good opportunity to tell people how it works. So what you can see there, John is uh, a real flattering picture of John there, um, testing out <laughs> breathing tubes. <laughs> I apologize, John. I love you, buddy. So the idea for those of us, for those of you that didn't see the show, is all of the traditional bass drummers, we just call those the pitched bass drums. So our bass line would put down their normal drums, then they picked up these custom drums that Mapex made for us, and the idea that Chris Hankus and John pitched to me that we just ran with is, how about we seal the drum? There, are, there is no way for air to escape anywhere in the drum. No ports, no air holes, except for a breathing tube. So we're going to put a breathing tube up here by our chest. So it's right in front of the carrier. And by the way, don't worry, we'll put an actual uh, pressure gauge here so you can see which note you're playing. So John went to town for weeks and weeks and months and months. They started making prototype after prototype after prototype. This is him sending me a picture of one of the notes on a tuner. Then he would blow as hard as he could, and he'd tap it, tap it, tap it, tap it, tap it, tap it, and see if he could get it up to a fifth or a sixth or an octave. And then he would say, okay, well, here's what worked, here's what didn't. So in the factory, he started to prototype all of these different shells. You can go on. Sure, sure. I'll scroll down a bit. And that might have been one of the first ones there. That might have been one of the first shells that they had to sacrifice. <laughs> so it says, for those that can't read this, I've, I was, if you're on podcast services, I apologize. Go to YouTube and watch the thing. But I'll read the bullet point. that The drums were made from older one-offs around the warehouse, including some very sweet lacquer finishes. Uh, those all had to be sanded so that the green sparkle wrap could adhere to the shell. So this is, again, this... This all goes into how much of a labor of love and a passion project this show was. Like, just jumping through so many hoops, MacGyvering so many things to get the sounds they wanted. It's insane. I honestly, this is all news to me. I liked your all show a lot last summer. Like, I respected what you all did, but I didn't realize the layers were there to all of this to make it happen. And just, you know, the drum industry, you know, continuing right. to experiment to push what we're able to offer from... right. A compositional standpoint as well right great right. point great point guys and then what does this say mike does this have to so, do with how he had to treat the interior right right so you're, if you're watching on youtube you're seeing a picture of the interior of a of a bass drum shell and it says the only holes cut in the outer wrap were for the lug casings wooden dowels were cut to the depth of the shell to fit in the holes that the normal air vents were and then sanded down to be even and smooth with the inner shell uh, it dawned on me during the trials that the condensation levels inside a drum being breathed in with no air vents could get funky. That's probably <laughs> true. That's a good th yep. <laughs> valid point. Yep. Uh, with the shells getting wet and the possibility for mold. <laughs> right. Mold in marching drums. Uh, to combat this, we put them on a lazy Susan and evenly applied layers of flex seal. And this is unreal. The it's layers crazy, of all right? of this is unreal. <laughs> Layers Crazy. of flex seal in order to provide a surface inside the drum that could be cleaned on a regular basis. Incredible amount of detail and 
hours and hours and hours. And by the way, I'm learning about this too. So I don't think our percussion staff knew this. I don't think the actual bass drummers knew this. And the whole world couldn't have known about this till now. So I'm really happy to to showcase all the hard work that went into this. So well, thanks again to We'll Chris clip and this John. whole section. So the podcast will go out and we'll make a clip of this whole segment so it's cool. isolated by itself. Cool. Nice. And then that's obviously a shot of the air pressure gauge, right, Mike? Does he talk about that? Mm-hmm. So as a trombone player, if you're watching, you can see a pressure gauge right now. Um, as a trombone player, we can go to the same note every time because we know the positions on a trombone slide. This bass drum concept was completely foreign to all. A three-pound air pressure gauge was drilled in and sealed off in order to provide a consistency to both the players and ensemble. It also looked super techie <laughs> and a conversation piece. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. John's uh, sense of humor right there. Yeah, we actually, on, on one of the first days of getting those during all days, we had our brass caption head. Uh, oh, yeah. Do those just because we also, like, we <laughs> talked with our brass caption head about doing, like, like breathing gym with our bass That's drummers. Right. Yeah. And That's seeing incredible. how far. Yeah, because, the like, the a human being could not do the three pounds. Like, he was our right. brass caption head, been playing for years and years and years. And Good I think it. he was, like, he was, like, blacking out at, like, two that he was like trying to he was like going crazy pushing as hard as he could right and yeah it was, it was crazy that is amazing so now you're seeing if you're watching uh, the finished product basically the green finish on the bass drums the finished product the gauges are on top and everything you can see the uh the air tube right below the gauges uh the finished product was made the printed product the finished product was what made it to the field of which i'm more proud of the musicians that owned it versus the old grumps that had nothing better to contribute than a bunch of teardown comments. <laughs> Great. Oh, so Jesus. I, so I can't wait to talk about that. So everything that you just read, thank you, Mike. So all of that incredible work that, that Mapex did, John Harville did for us, when you went up to the bass drums and we finally got it to that point, you could hear it. Oh, yeah, I, I, I guess it is kind of going up and down. That was as loud and as effective as it could be. Then the other 50% of the magic of that moment all came from Mr. Catherall. So, James, you want to talk us through like how you put an, a, of course, he put a wireless mic on it, but that's only half of the story. Wait till he starts talking about the vocoder and how we pitched the synth to be in the right chordal structure as the front ensemble. So we had to put the melodic bass drums in the same key as the front ensemble. Let that sink in for a second. Yeah, it's a whole bunch of stuff. Um, all right, I'll get I'll get nerdy again. If you guys want to go look Dude, all the stuff, down the rabbit hole. It. We, we are down the rabbit hole so far. <laughs> Just keep rolling with it. Um, so yeah, and that that was another one. I mean, because yeah, Jeff. I feel like I remember. I, I can still remember Jeff telling us about this like in December. I was sitting and he's like, "Guys, you'll never like you'll never believe what we're going to be getting." They just told me about this drum, and he'd like would go off on these bass drums. So I was like, okay. And then I felt pretty strongly because they were also a little bit softer than normal bass drums because those air holes is actually a big way of the way the sound travels. If there's nowhere for the air to really go, then it uh, it was just way harder for it pro to project. So I knew no matter what, we were gonna have to put microphones on them. So that was also luckily planned because Jeff told us about these in December, we were able to plan ahead and make sure we had the mics that we needed. So we had to get a wireless mic for each bass drum. 
um, and put one on each of them. Same thing as they were all Velcroed, basically right next to where that pressure gauge, you can see it in the picture right now, right next to that pressure gauge is where the, the mic pack sat. And then we put it on the drum and clipped it so it was pointing at the drum. And, um, and then from there, we ran it through main stage and that was another, like, it was a whole bunch of experimenting of just trying a whole bunch of different stuff to see what would help it the best. Because the main goal was to try and uh, accentuate the the pitch bending up and down the most. Um, so we ended up going with the vocoder after trying a whole bunch of different stuff and just seeing what we could do with it. Um, and so the vocoder was the one that helped the best and made it cool. And then, yeah, it was another project between me and Andrew McAfee, our percussion captain head. Um, that we ended up doing it a couple times. There was there was more than a few days where it was like, all right, bass drum, since you're you're with me and Mr. McAfee, we're gonna go over to this corner of the school and play for the next three hours and figure this yeah. out. So we do that yeah. stuff. He got figured. We figured out a bunch of chords and did a whole thing. And McAfee was a big part of putting together the chord structure of it. And it went through the vocoder. And so one synth player was doing the vocoder that was triggering the sounds so every time the bass drummer hit the drum that would trigger the vocoder through main stage and then the synth player was holding down the keys and so that's what pitches you would hear coming out so they could change chords and it would slightly change the vocoder um and then to also help with the bending then the other synth player uh was they had their pitch bend wheel um that was bending the pitch up and down as well so they were kind of bending the vocoder along with it. And then on top of that, what we also kind of found out is with the way the vocoder was and the way the part was written is there was a lot of shaping and the vocoder naturally doesn't have a lot of shaping to be able to react to that. So they also were doing the mod wheel at the same time to do some pitch bending. And then also they had another wheel that was controlling the volume. So they'd be pulling volume up and down while the pitch was going up and down. Um, and then just more layers on top of that. I mean, anything outside of that was just kind of like standard audio stuff. I think it did. There was like a compressor on it a little bit. We did a noise gate as well, just to make sure only the right sounds. Because the, the other part that made it difficult is we had to tune the drums really low to get yeah. the most pitch bend out of them. So the drum heads were tuned way lower than normal. And they were muffled. We had to put the muffling on the outside for the same reason that they, they coated the inside is if we put that foam muffling, it would have just gathered moisture and gotten all moldy. So we had to put the foam muffling. There was no muffling inside. It was only that ring on the outside was the only muffling. So it made it difficult for the sound of the drum because they were definitely more boomy than normal because of that. Mm -hmm. So it took a lot of audio treatment to get it to still sound bass drum-esque. Um, and still work. So that was that was definitely a huge project. That definitely we were tweaking that all the way up until finals week was just little tweaks here and there, changing the audio sound of it a little bit, changing things about it a little bit. It's, it's a lot of stuff that, like the other thing, I mean, it's just like still going down the rabbit holes. We had to make sure, like you have to make sure because it's all five of them and they're all split and it needs to sound the same is that all of their mics were the same distance. So it's just a little clip with like a... I don't even know, but it's it's basically like a like a metal thing. How the mic is is it's got the clip, and then there's like a metal arm that you can basically bend wherever you need it, and so you like bend a clamp it. Clamp with a clip on it. 
Yeah. And so it yeah. kind of stays in place. So you had to, we had to like get the mics on and then I had like a little measuring thing to make sure <laughs> that each mic was the same distance from the drum head so that it yeah. wouldn't be like bass five was super loud. And then everyone else was really quiet because their mic was like on the drum head. It like had to be even so that it would sound like a bass line going up and down and we wouldn't have the balancing so many layers. Yeah, so many layers. And there's and one like more layer. Before I let you go, Jeff, yeah. I'm going to yeah. grab some bourbon. Keep talking. I'm going to keep recording. I'll be right back. This is and awesome. Then, okay. And like Jeff was mentioning earlier with the, you know, the added environmental challenge with the accessory players yeah. and like what James was just talking about with like we had to pitch the bass drum so down like the juxtaposition of the actual drums they're playing versus the tension on these drums, I'm sure it was quite drastically different. Yeah, they're yeah. touch. That's a great point, Evan. One of the things that was wild, and I don't think you could ever appreciate this unless you walked into that section, you saw all five of the drums stagger breathing. So you heard this seamless line. Let's say the, the part goes up and down, and they had all their split rhythms. So the composite rhythm, they had to be just as accurate as any other world-class bass line, right? So they're playing this crazy world-class stuff. But then in the part, I wrote arrows up and down. So where we wanted the pitch to go up and down, they, they didn't know where they were in the run. They just see their part. And if it's in the middle of a down arrow, they have to use their ear, and then they have to release breath or provide breath. So in, Oh, and they're also doing body and choreo. So I just have touch. like a brass caption head of my like mind that's like, don't breathe on the bar lines. <laughs> exactly. Don't breathe on the bar lines. That's funny. We should have said that. But yeah, so you had all their different breathing responsibilities that was that was separate from their individual rhythm, which is separate from the pitch, which is separate from their expression, which is separate from their body, their their simultaneous responsibilities with choreo. Hey, if it's easy, everybody would do it. Right, right. <laughs> so Fair. I have backed up. Let's rewatch that phrase, and then we can p stop again if we want or let it keep rolling. Or Evan, you got something else? We'll just also listen for what he was talking about, the breakthrough, the others. I'm gonna I, listen for am that. I back far mm -hmm. enough, Jeff? Yes, sir. Okay, perfect. Let it go here. Here it comes. You can hear it climbing. Yes, sir. <laughs> What's so cool? So and much even those, those, Yeah, those last little bugadas, they were climbing in pitch. And this is transitional material. This is break on through the doors. our great tympanist sendin i love flam five rolls or cheese rolls whatever you want to call them <laughs> sir the great noah caldera shout chorus in seven
Ooh. There's the DSC ray finally. The Verity's Requiem. Break on through. Yep, yes, sir. Great ensemble moment. So cool. And then if you'll stop right here. So this outro right here, the break on through, one of the most ambitious things that, that I've ever tried in drum corps was right here. This is an ensemble phase. So one of the things that we felt would be and by we, I really mean me, and I had to fight everybody on it. But <laughs> we, it's uh, one of the things that, uh, that Steve Reich does really well is he writes for piano uh, and different instrumental phases. So you take a like rhythm, or in his case, maybe a like melody like this, and then what you do is you take one of those instruments and you just push it ever so carefully faster and faster, and it breaks apart. And just for a brief moment, it splits itself. So if you're in 16s, they, they become 30-second notes, and then it finally locks into the next partial. And so mm -hmm. that phase technique is pretty common in contemporary ensembles. Uh, drumming, one of his pieces, uses it, and it's either with mallet instruments or drums. And so the idea here was to take an entire drum core and phase. So what we did visually is have... Side, is that where we started, James? Side two in the beginning? Um, yeah, yeah. Everyone was on side two, and then we were splitting from there. Yes, sir. So, deem, bum, bum, but the ostinatos right there. One, two, three, four, dee, 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 dee. that was our, our pulse. And we tried many, many, many different iterations. Maybe the low brass would stay in tempo, then the middle and the high brass with the battery would pull apart, and they would pull apart through a retardando, and the ostinato stays in tempo. Then we thought, no, the full, the full brass line will stay at one tempo, then the battery will pull apart. So we tried all kinds of different iterations all summer. And as you can imagine, it was really tough to read. And even when we played it really well, it was still hard to pick up. So we ended up coming up with kind of a, a very readable version of that. And it just went to the retard a little bit sooner. But this is one of those moments that James was talking about as a staff and the kids and the teaching staff. We all said, are we really going to do this? And if it doesn't work, we're going to fire Osdemore. I'm kidding, kind of. <laughs> but uh, that was one of the chances we, we took to say, if we're truly going to say we're breaking ground, let's do this. Yep. And so that started in, uh, in spring training, where you've, when you close your eyes, you hear deem, bum, bum, ba, bum, bum, ba, bum, bum, all together. And then all of a sudden, it starts to sound like your very first high school marching band gig. And it starts to break apart. Like somebody is, is amazing slow, and, and it just sounds like chaos. And then we got better and better, better at the pacing of it. And so we got pretty clear at it, and then we just decided to edit it at the, towards the end of the season. But it's something to this day I'm really proud of. Proud of all of the students, all the staff that we 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 went for it. So that was an ensemble phase that we may or may not have had to talk about every night and critique. Fair, fair James. I'm fair, even yes. I'm even more glad we did this because I didn't know any of this, and I'm sure most people 
that saw your show over the summer had no clue any of this was happening half the time and all this nuance was there and just intricacies all over the place across the field and it's so cool but it's like it's like one of those things it's like are we gonna try to create something that's a moment that somebody else hasn't done or are we just gonna like do what's normal and are we just gonna revert to like points on the page i mean at some right, point right. there is a given a give and take of both of those but those those ideas or those concepts where you're like this is going to take to the last night and yep. maybe it works and maybe it doesn't but if it works yep. it's still going to take to the last night so right right yep we I were prepared story. to fall on the sword and that took a lot yes. of courage and we're really proud of it one of the things that was neat is in the score, before we saw where it was going to be staged, you saw this part of the front ensemble is paired with the mellophones. So at different points of this this process, we had mellophones phasing slow with uh, the vibraphones. And then the low brass and the timpani and the bass drums were in tempo. And it was wild. And then we get the drill and we figure out what's going to work best. And it was really, I say, I'm going to use the word fun. It was fun for me because I wasn't in the (laughs) trenches every day. But it was really (laughs) gratifying to see us go for it. So again, kudos to the incredible teaching staff and the rest of the design staff. Nothing risk, nothing gained. Now we are in the battle. This is called Submission. Those are made by a good friend of mine. Yep, those are handmade for us. And his name is Nathan. And he is an incredible musician. He lives here in Dallas. And he made those custom for us. Those are individually hand-cut glass chimes. That's incredible. That's awesome. Every single one. Pretty moments are rock are Maggie. Mm-hmm. Mm, that little flourish at the end. So much space, virtuosic. These players are so talented. Mm, delicate. I love Cortales. one of the easier parts of the show to Mike, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, little do you know. Yeah. Yeah. After, after all of that, <laughs> all of that before. That's right. 
And now the battery comes in for supportive material here for the big impact. Through the rip, start on. Just all kinds of meter rolls throughout all that, Jesus. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, there's a lot going on. Five, seven, nines, eleven, go oh, my. Got to keep the pulse for the drum maker. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's what right. it is. It, it is, for sure. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I was a part of that. Yep. Yep. I have pulled this And now this is what we call Catherall City. James, you want to talk? Yeah, this is actually called Absolution of Word, and this is really fun. To yes, put to pause for a sec, or let it keep going. Colloquially referred to as Catherall City. Yes. Going to watch some first. You want to talk first? Um. Yeah. I mean, I guess that the that whole part was um, where I kind of took the lead on everything that was put together there. So that was kind of like mainly a sound design forward, like a lot of synthetic stuff, plus a little bit of like front ensemble helping um, accentuate some of the ideas and some of the hit points and adding in some of the textures. Um, but also mainly it was sort of helping uh, carry as far as the story on the show or what was happening on the field is that is sort of like the first moment where we really start um, like breaking free as a full group on the field. So that's like in the show in that spot is it started. So during our the moment right before that with the big battery hit um, is we had a color guard performer in the middle of that pyramid that you could see in the very back in the video. Um, they were being suspended in the air on that pyramid, kind of like hanging and spinning around and doing a whole bunch of stuff. And then they get lowered and you can kind of hear that in the sound design as they're getting lowered. And then the sound design kind of does this like downward pitching as they're going down. And then they run across the ensemble and they motivated everyone to rip off the, uh, we had this like this rip away sort of thing on the, the chest of the, the uniform. And so they kind of motivated everyone to rip that off. And so that was kind of, all of this sound design was sort of dark and there was some uh, narration happening with it um, that, I forgot what we called these. We had two different words. I think we called this part the spoken word part and then we had the rhythmic word, which is gonna come right after that, um, was like the next part. But yeah, this was like a very sound design heavy and it also, there was like this whole thing with the sounds that uh, all the props got like pulled down to the ground and there's the sounds that you can hear with it. I don't know if it already passed. I think it comes up in a few seconds as they pull all the props down and there's this sort of sound design to go with it that was like knocking down all the props and it sort of had this like squeaky bending metal and breaking metal type of sound as we were pulling everything down um and that takes us into the next part which i guess we can net let the next part happen and sure, we can sure. kind of talk about what it was but i find a way to lift myself up i want to hmm. get Away. Just building the intensity. 
good rolls, Jesus. And then if you'll the stop there just for a second. Yeah, that was a fun. Yeah. I'm happy to talk about this real quickly. Sure, sure. I have a friend of mine named Darren. And Darren introduced me to a band a long time ago called The Books. Have this really unique track where there's a really consistent rhythm and there's this narration and the accents line up with random accents in the ostinato. Hmm. And so we went from the spoken word, what we just, all that stuff you just heard James create through the soundscape and all the, all the cello rondo that goes right into the rhythmic word. And the rhythmic word, if you notice, the bass drums are playing an ostinato the whole time, mm -hmm. either eighth notes or eighth note triplets. They go back and forth because the upper battery is playing all kinds of angular rhythms that are supposed to rub against the ostinato. So they're playing these upbeat whatever, sevens and fives and singles, because it was supposed to really represent the, the real uncomfortable asymmetry of that rhythm all the way through. And we turned it into a feature and they put some body to it. But that was how the spoken word dovetailed into rhythmic word. And then this, last part of the show, called Freedom. And you'll recognize this is Pharrell Williams, brilliant brass arranger, Leslie, William, uh, Leslie Gilreath, put this in a really obvious swing style for us. Heck yeah. All right, we'll jump. I backed up a little bit, so we'll... We'll be able to get some of that bass from us now. So many stylistic changes and just feels throughout the entire program. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. There's so many different meters used for rolls throughout the show in the battery writing. Yes. There's very few just like eight note rolls, like eight note five, triplet, seven, just like all over the place. Yes, sir. Mirroring of those big rhythms in the concert snare in the front. That was cool. 
flashy in there, a little stick flip yeah. action going all over the place. Snare. I don't think I've ever done a stick flip on a concert snare. No, I definitely <laughs> have not. Oh boy. I didn't catch that till the recording came out, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Probably would have told him to stop. <laughs> I feel I feel like I'm gonna be a broken right. record here, but I I was excited for doing this one with you all tonight. I'm even more like glad that I did because there's just so many layers. So many layers that I didn't get just watching lot videos of the battery or seeing the show on the flow stream a couple times, you know, through regionals Evan and I watched and everything throughout the season and this is I this was just been phenomenal to get the insights and the little things behind the scenes for this one because there was so much going on the whole time. Yes, there was a lot of like really I appreciate deep, you saying that. Yeah, a lot of deep intellectual layers. I mean, even for that last part is after the rhythmic word stuff happens, we do another stylistic change um, into like the swing stuff. And that was supposed to really represent us finally breaking free rhythmically from being very strict, like especially the the dichotomy from the very beginning of the show. So the very beginning of the show starts very like like straightforward march. It has all the concert snares. Mm -hmm. It has like the sort of trumpet fanfare kind of thing going on. That was supposed to be very straightforward, like march, very strict, very like rudimental. And then by the time we get to the end there, it was all like jazzy swing rhythms, all that kind of stuff happening was like representing that journey from beginning to end of being oh, like- it's, it's like over the course trick. of the show, they became oh. unharnessed. Right, exactly. So that was that was the part of the the musical style to like try and help get all of those things across. So yes, definitely a lot of things that we talked about that we did our best to try and convey to the audience and give them a lot of different things to listen for and like dig in on on maybe like a second watch or a third watch of being able to like understand some of those layers as well. Yeah, for sure. I I can't wait to see what you all do next summer. I know you told us before we started recording, you just had the first, like, in uh, in Colorado camp in person and everything this past weekend. So today is Monday, so, like, a day ago, two days ago. Um, how's the season shaping up? What's going on so far? Everything looking good? Is the, What's the show title? What's the uniform look like? What's the drum finish? <laughs> Give us everything. How can people get involved? <laughs> That's right. We're really excited to debut Fifle Goes West, part six. Mm. I was hoping for My Little Ponies, but Fifo Goes West will work well, too. <laughs> We're very excited. So uh, I just wanted to point out one last uh, thing here. So, again, you guys have been so great to invite us on and just having an opportunity to really advocate for all those hardworking kids that came out and took a chance on us. And the other thing, too, that I, I really wanted to just share that I might have kind of a unique perspective on this. The last time that I really taught Blue Knights for a long period of time, most of the staff were either really, really dear friends of mine and colleagues where we all saw music and technique the same way, or they were all students of mine or former students of mine. This time around, it was absolutely the opposite way. So I was able to get to know James. I got to know Andrew uh, McAfee and his entire battery staff, Kyler uh, Altenhoff and his front ensemble staff. They're just lights out, brilliant teachers, great people. But one of the things that I was really, really curious about is everybody on that percussion staff has an incredibly eclectic background. So you had crown and devils and indoor here and indoor there all over the United States. 
And what a testament to Andrew McAfee as the percussion caption head last year for him to just galvanize everyone's strengths and talents for the sake of this crazy, crazy melting pot of a show. And so one of the things that I think sometimes gets just a little bit overinflated in our activity, gentlemen, is the fact that, oh, they've got their staff and they hit the drum the same way. And hear me clearly, I believe in that too. That's very, very, very important. However, last year was some somewhat of a testament to the fact that you can take really smart, dedicated, passionate people from very disparate backgrounds, and as long as the music and the sound unites you, then you can make something really, really special. So I just want to publicly thank I, all of those incredible students in 23 for coming I, out and trusting us. I think us. that's very well said, and I, I will say I think that's one of the beautiful things about the activity. You can have there, – there's more than one way to skin the cat. You can have approaches where everyone's very on the same page, same background, consistent across the board in all sections, and it works out super well. And then you can have groups where you have techs and arrangers and staff members that come from all different walks of the activity and, and educational backgrounds, and it still somehow coalesces into an amazing creative product at the end of the day. And it's just one of those things that, I, again, another one of the reasons I love this activity Everyone does it differently, and everyone puts out an awesome product at the end of the year, getting to the end goal in a very different way. Well said. Well, this was freaking phenomenal. I mean, this was been it's been just about an hour and a half of actual recording time so far. Time flies when you're having fun. I mean, this might be one of the longest ones we've done in a while, and it's <laughs> it was well worth it. I mean, just so many wow. insights, so many cool oh. things talked about. It's great, great meeting you all. We'd never, I think, talked to either one of you or met you until we hopped into the server tonight. So to just kind of say what's up and get this thing rolling. But, I mean, I don't have anything else unless you all do. I mean, we kind of talked about Make sure you go check out James's YouTube channel. Link in the description. You know, link in the description of the Blue Knights YouTube channel. Um, Jeff, phenomenal. Can't wait to meet you all in person at WGI Finals or, or DCI if it doesn't happen sure. there or whatever. So, I mean, Evan, you got anything else? No, unless uh, unless you guys got any information about oh, audition season. Yeah. I know it's probably already underway. Um, if there's anything else, though, that it, you guys want to throw in, feel free to do so. Thank you, Evan. Yeah, it is absolutely not too late. We are really fortunate that we're spreading ourselves to many cities, El Paso, Austin, Houston, Dallas, uh, Indy. I'm doing a big clinic at the IPA, the Indiana Percussion Association, uh, with a whole bunch of talented folks uh, like Bios, Ralph, and Harvey will be there. I'm giving a, a clinic for the students there in the state of Indiana, and then I'm also doing one for directors, judging concepts, etc. And then we're going to have an audition camp for Blue Knights. So it is not too late if you'd like to audition for the Blue Knights. We have a wonderful video uh, audition process like, like all the drum corps do. So if you're interested in what we do, we only try to treat our members as well as we can and give them a unique musical experience that's the bottom line of our mission is just we want to be great we want to be great while being different so if that's you please reach out to us and please take a take a shot at our organization we'd love to meet you there it is i can't think of a better way to end it so subscribe comment like what do you think about what we talked about here on youtube you know share the video like we, the usual youtube spiel instagram facebook patreon hit the join button here on youtube and we will uh, see everybody in the next one peace